We're in Highgate Woods, which yeah. is near, not far. Highgate. <laughs> it's not Weirdly. <laughs> we're near Highgate. <laughs> You're better at this than me. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I were on home turf in North London's Highgate Wood with TV presenter, radio broadcaster, Instagram queen, and now author, Angela Scanlon. I first met Angela briefly a couple of years ago at a radio studio and I instantly got just this really good energy from her. She struck me as so genuine and kind of unshowbizy and just very warm. So I have been dying to get her on my podcast. But the woman has been pretty busy raising two daughters, fronting the BBC's Your Home Made Perfect and now writing an incredibly brilliant memoir and sort of guide to life called Joyrider. Angela doesn't have a dog, but that's all right. We still love her. And having seen both her kids' reaction to Raymond, I give it a week, love. I had the best time with Angela. She just exudes this very relaxed, sort of positive energy. I can't explain it. It's kind of impossible to be stressed around her, though. She told me about her childhood growing up in a large family of women and how having that beautiful red hair kind of made her feel a bit other out in the world. She also chatted about how she got into performing and how she kind of winged it when she got her huge TV break on The One Show. Apologies to Angela's mum, by the way, who didn't think she should admit that publicly. I love it. We also chatted about Angela's brilliant new book, Joyrider, as I say, which I totally recommend. There's some really heartfelt honesty in it. And she just writes very movingly about important stuff that's happened in her life her eating disorder the work she's done on herself in therapy but it's also really warm and funny and well just very Angela Raymond and I utterly adored our walk with Angela and I got to sing a special lullaby inspired by Raymond to one of her daughters I know you will love it too I mean the podcast not the lullaby that's a work in progress I'll stop talking and hand over to the woman herself Here's Angela and Raymond. Come on, Raymond. Come on, you little, his little furry bum is the cutest and I've never said that about anyone before. <laughs> Come on, Raymond. Which way, Angela? Should we go this way or I that way? I think we go to the wild open spaces and then we'll like hang back into the woodland, yeah? <laughs> that sounds my, like my ideal date. <laughs> now. Just to warn you, Raymond does a lot of this. Just like loitering. It's like he's browsing in Zara okay, and there's a sale on. I can relate to that. <laughs> Hard relate, Raymond. Don't buy the cashmere, FYI. I have so much respect for this because he's like, he's kind of so in his own worth that he's like, they can wait, dickheads. I'm just going to sit here and do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> For as long as I want. There's a queen in there, isn't there? Raymond, come on. We're so lucky. We've got such a lovely walking companion today. Angela, I'm going to have to introduce you. Go on then. I say I'm going to have to, like it's some terrible, terrible obligation. But I'm I love that you're doing this on the fly with no paper. <laughs> I mean, I know we're walking. It would look a bit weird what to get a script. But oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I like it to be quite organic. Yeah, grand. Let's see what comes out. Go for it. I'm really intrigued. <laughs> Whenever people say they're intrigued, they always mean concerned. Yeah, yeah, slightly, but I'm into it, though. I'm so thrilled to have this woman on my podcast today. I'm with the very wonderful TV presenter, podcaster, 
and now soon to be best-selling author Angela Scanlon. Hey girl! We're in Highgate Woods which yeah. is near not far. Highgate. <laughs> it's not weirdly. <laughs> We're near Highgate. <laughs> You're better at this than me. <laughs> um, full disclosure. Go on. You've turned up without a dog but I still love you. Yeah. I, I, and I love dogs mm. and I've been very nice to Raymond I feel so far so we're fine and also I'm local and you needed someone for this week so it's all worked <laughs> out really well synchronicities all over the shop <laughs> hello oh look oh, they've the same hair there is the cutest little boy with a mop of hair just like Raymond's and another little one hi there I like your Christmas jumper Hello. I like people who stay in the Christmas spirit. My daughter is wearing her Christmas pyjamas. What month is it? It's, you know, not Christmas. How are you guys? See, dogs are just like magnets, aren't they? Bye. Bye. I hope they have sun cream on. I get very worried. <laughs> I think they make you a bit friendlier. Yeah. But a bit more open. You couldn't be any friendlier and more open. Oh, no, 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 See, no. In real, in, real, in real life, I say, <laughs> the devil. No, I'm quite antisocial. Are you? Yeah. Like, I'll put my, my, my blockers on and, you know, don't, don't come near me. Like, okay, so, for example, I do a show called Your Homemade Perfect, right, on BBC Two. It's an architecture, like, virtual reality show. Okay? I, you don't need to tell me what it is. Okay. I happen to love it. Oh, do you? Great. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to show you the egomaniac that I am. Laura Jane Clark is one of the fabulous architects on it. She, wherever we go together, when we film now, people are like, hi, Laura. They literally just walk by me. And I'm like, do I look really unfriendly? Or do I just look really shit? <laughs> so she's like, you must get that all the time, do you? And I say, absolutely not. No one comes near me. I don't know whether it's my aura that I omit. Is like, back off, please. Maybe you just have healthy boundaries. Yeah, maybe. Oh, look at that cute one. Oh, oh she's lovely. Little I think boy. it's a he, actually. Oh, is it? Oh. Well, you no, I didn't see the balls. I'm just looking at the face. We're talking about a dog, I should oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Very nice, dignified, elderly gentleman. Um, oh, we could go through. Oh, should we go this way? Should we go in the woods or go this on. way? Yeah. What do I you think? think? Um, I think we go this way. Okay, I yeah. trust you. Yeah. So. You don't have a dog. I don't but have a dog. Do you like dogs? I do like dogs. I'm okay, so like our old family friends were real dog people, okay? And I judge like the level like proper dog lovers let their dogs touch their own tongues. Okay, I which makes me feel like I'm not in my bones a dog person, but that feels just like an extreme like expression of dog loving. Yeah, yeah. So I want, do, do you lick Raymond? No further questions at this time. <laughs> okay. Did you, did, but did you, did you grow up with dogs? Yes. We grew did up you? with a dog called Daisy. She ran away. I feel still deeply ashamed. I'm like, how did that happen? Now that's the story. Who knows what happens? I'm one of four girls. We lived in the country. And I do think there's a real difference between how dogs are, are, um, seen over here in a city versus how dogs are seen not that i grew up on a farm but like animals live outside they eat the scraps here they're literally run the show so it, it's quite different it's 
quite different. And this is in Ireland, we should say. Yes, this is in Ireland. I say we should say, if anyone hasn't worked that out, I don't know, <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And whereabouts is this, Angela? It's Meath, not Meath. No, no, but everyone says Meath is maybe a better pronunciation of it, but Meath, it's a bit softer maybe in our accent. And so you had Daisy? Daisy was a tiny dog. <laughs> Black. That's also how I describe cars. What kind of car is it? Red. Um, um, small black dog. So that was my overriding memory. We then moved on to a Labrador. Golden Labrador who was absolutely wild as they are. Okay, so here's the thing. My youngest sister, Annette, was terrified of animals. Terrified. Like screamed, wailed, everything. My dad thought he hadn't read Philippa Perry's book about parenting. 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 <laughs> I can't even say it. I wonder how mine is going to turn out. And he said he basically su- surprised her. Now she's his favourite, so it was a gesture of love. But he surprised her with a, a little puppy, a golden Labrador, and. Um, she nearly lost her bloody life. Anyway, the Labrador's like quite giddy and um, used to be in the back garden, but like on a big lead. I don't know if we could say, is that really bad to say? <laughs> I've had worse on this punk <laughs> Okay, fine. So, but I will never forget, I once went out to the garden. The dog was obviously really pissed off that he was on this lead. <laughs> and he wrapped me around the pole oh. with the lead. Very clever little one. So I, they came out, my family came out to me wailing, having been wrapped around and like yoinked to the ground and him on top of me. Um, I mean, if I was into tonguing dogs, it would have been right up my street, <laughs> but I'm not. So it was kind of weird. Um, and then we do have a dog now. I say we, I don't live there anymore, but my parents have a dog yeah. called Sandy. We're very much say what you see with the naming of dogs. I want to know a bit about the Scanlon house. I mean, I feel like I've painted quite a clear picture. <laughs> I'm sensing noisy, mm. lively. Yeah. Ca- like a little chaotic, mm. I would say. <laughs> um, but fun, mostly fun. Four girls and like very outdoorsy. I say outdoorsy, not in the like, you know, anorak and camping, just like go out there and come back when it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> so we had like huts and stuff like, I think it's why I feel quite relaxed in a woodland area. And as you say, there were four girls. Four, yeah, I'm second from the top. And were you close to all your siblings? Yeah, I mean, like we're very close in age in that I think there was four of us under six at one point in time. Um, and I don't know whether it's the number four, but that you tend to like pair off with different ones at certain points in your life, depending on where you are. So yeah, you always had a like a sidekick, I suppose. Yeah. Myself and my older sister had a tricksy relationship. Christine, Did love you. you. Yeah, we're thick as thieves now, but but it was there was only eighteen months between us, and I think now that I've had a second. And I can see my oldest daughter being like, are you fucking having a laugh? This one's staying. Like, it's a real shock to the system. I mean, that must feel like your world has turned on its axis when that happens. Well, the midwife said to me, she's like, oh, be really gentle. Now, I'm hypersensitive 
to it, maybe a little too much so, but she was like, imagine you arrive home and your husband's in bed with another woman. I was like, okay. And she said, but instead of telling her to get out the door, you have to say, isn't she gorgeous? You have to mind her and love her and be kind to her and she's yeah. never leaving. You're like, okay, sorry, I'm supposed to be happy about this. As a, an older kid, that's quite the kick in the tits, isn't it? It's a painful lesson, Yeah. but it's probably not a bad thing to learn. Yes. In some ways. Yeah, that you're not the centre of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> some people yeah. never learn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could be in that part of the Venn diagram. And I've obviously read your wonderful book, Joyrider. Thank you for which, A, reading it, because, you know, I have often skimmed. Oh, it's so good. And it's handily, it touches on a lot of, um, I suppose, autobiographical stuff as well. There's yeah. elements of that. And um, we'll talk a bit more in depth about it, because uh, I, I really did love it, as I say, and you're a phenomenally talented writer. Oh, my Angela, God, honestly. you're going to make me cry. Thank you. Thank Not this you. early on. I know. We haven't even started. <laughs> we haven't even put whiskey in our coffee yet. <laughs> There are some sort of themes that, you know, interesting to do with your childhood. And mm -hmm. you spoke in your book, which I found fascinating about, you know, you've obviously got this beautiful red hair, which I'm very covetous of. I always wanted to have red hair. Did you? Yeah. Really? That's so interesting to me. Because I just think our age group, people are like redheads. You know, like I say in the book, you're not really on the list. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, like I'd have heard lads in school going, oh, I like blondes. Oh no, I like brunettes. Like you're literally not on the list. It made you feel, I can see that. It made you feel slightly other in a way. Yeah. And then as time went on, I kind of, and I only realized this in hindsight, but I became fiercely protective of it. But in a kind of, like it made me feel very special and very, um, odd at the same time you know uh which yeah is like heady and confusing but i do love my red hair i think it was just at the time as a teenager you just kind of want to copy and paste and i wanted yeah. like you know tanned gorgeous skin with no freckles yeah. and i wanted to be able to have highlights like everybody else had highlights and i couldn't i was like oh no i've seen how that looks a red head with highlights. I mean, just Google. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think you pick it up. And it was a very narrow yeah. like, uh, representation, if that's the word, of what beauty was that time. So brunette was like bookish. Still hotter than redhead, but like a bit bookish. It was the like best friend. Everyone wanted to be the blonde bombshell. That was what sexy was if you were a teenager yes. in the 90s. Tell me about your parents. My dad is a builder. He's one of 14. Yeah, one of 14. He falls somewhere in the middle. Now I'd have to go through the names and I wouldn't dare, um, <laughs> or would I? Uh, yeah, so, he, so, so he's one of 14, um, was born in Mayo. How familiar are you with Ireland? I know it reasonably well. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I know Dublin. So Meath is close I to know, Dublin. Yeah. But Mayo is as far away from Dublin as you can get, in every sense of the word. I used um, to have an Irish boyfriend, and what I loved... Did you, where was he from? What I loved is that his mother, he said, oh, Sadie thinks she's a cut above because she's from Waterford. And she'd say, it's where the crystal's from. 
Well, also her name is Sadie, so she was posh. I mean, she she was not one of the Marian years. Do you know what I mean? Do you have you heard of the Marian years? The Ma actually, I don't even know what. The, there's something to do with the Pope, and everyone who was born in 1954 was called Marian, including my mother. Um, but Sadie, if you're Sadie from Waterford, yeah, she probably okay. was a bit fancy. So were your folks? I mean, it's so weird, isn't it? And people ask, you know, what class know. you were. It's like, but were you, did you, how did you perceive? So, I, I, okay, I think I was completely unaware of what class was until I came over to this country. And I think that's something that I, a lot of Irish people relate to, or Aussies, anyone who's not English, frankly. Maybe the French have a bit of that old money thing. But by and large, there, there's a bit of it, but there's not really much of it. Um, or if there is, they're very other to the vast majority of people in Ireland, I think. But my dad, like, you know, went to England, left school really early, came to England to work. Um, you know, not, not by choice like I was able to do, but by, because there was nothing um, for him to do. And, um, and he did really well for himself. He, like, created a business. He had, he, you know built a, a construction company and did property development for a long time. Did, did you have one parent you were slightly closer to or more bonded with, do you think? Um, oh, I think I was probably, it's probably by my mom. Like, I'm, I think I'm probably very like my dad in many ways. But it was a bit more traditional in that my dad was out working and my mom was at home with us. So we were, you yeah. know, there and like I was probably slightly unhealthily dependent on my mom for a long time. But then I guess if that spread out over four of you, it probably doesn't develop into full-blown enmeshment. Yeah, you know that's what I mean? true. I mean, it's close enough. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're, we're, we're almost there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a, there is a bit of that. Oh, we've got a dog here, Angela. We what do. It, She's lovely. It? Look at her now. She could be called Sandy. Whereas actually our Hello. dog called Sandy is a bit more ginger. Now you'll see, now Ray's a bit standoffish, Angela. Can you see? He's, He's a bit snooty. Hi, he is. I'm going oh, into oh, it though. He's discerning, you know? And you guys are a bit alike. <laughs> yeah. What a bit touch me not. No, I think more the fringe, like more the, cask the cascading hair. I was, the, I was going visual. Sorry. You'd have to get, yeah. you'd have to get have Alan Carr's oh, dog, oh, the uh, red setter. Yeah. Oh my god, I was in Alan's house the other day. Oh my god. What a god. nice man. He is divine, isn't he? I can see you'd get and on with him. He was hung over. I was the first time I'd met him properly. <laughs> I met him in radio too, but he was there doing a show. You know, you're always a bit Just like, oh, we're doing our thing. One of life's nice guys. He's fabulous. Fabulous. Um, so. I'm getting a bit of a picture yeah. of your childhood, but I want to know, were you an extrovert? Were you shy? So I think I presented as an extrovert. Now, are you into astrology? No. Okay, so I'm Capricorn with my rising, sun rising, I was hoping you could help me out here, <laughs> sun rising in Leo. Okay, so which means like, uh, so your rising sign is how you present to the world and mm. your sun sign, I'm going to say, is like the true version of you. So Capricorn's a bit more steady Eddie, they're the goat, hardworking, extremely loyal, good sense of humour, but like they wouldn't be the life and soul of the party. You'd Got find you. them in the corner having a chat. Leo, on the other hand, 
they are like larger than life. Well, center stage all the time, little self-centered, like, but I can kind of, like, I think if you first meet me, you think, oh, jazz hands. <laughs> She's very happy on the stage. But actually, I, so there was a real tussle, I think, because I presented like that. I'm doing a jazz hands move for anyone who can't <laughs> hear the little shuffle. Um, but actually, I was quite, um, probably quite shy and still I'm a bit shy, which is hard to believe for people. But I think there is a kind of, um, or maybe, no, shyness is probably not the word. I think I was, I'm very, very sensitive human. And as a child, that felt really overwhelming and really unacceptable, actually. Yeah. It was like, we don't have time now for this nonsense for you to be feeling everybody's feelings and for you to be feeling upset about seemingly, you know, normal, everyday things. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like, you know, toughened up and I, I became much more comfortable with that, like I call it that jazz hands version of me, felt much more attractive to people, much more sparkly, much more, that's what people wanted from me was, was how I, or what I believed. And so that the sensitive, kind of side of me got kind of slowly buried I suppose you know and it's t it took a long time to dig her up she's back bitch <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, d I, think, I do you think that's true of a lot of performers because I wonder whether in some ways the the very nature of wanting to perform perhaps mm. is there's an element of hiding I suppose because I think you're literally putting on you know, a face, going out, doing the thing, and then, you know, going home. But but there's a real, like, lack of integration there. And it becomes very confusing, I think, and quite exhausting to yeah. do those two. Like, fine, if you're conscious that you're going out, you're performing, it's a slightly amplified version of yourself. But if there's a total disconnect between how you present and how you are at home, then that's like, who, yeah. who, am, who am I? What am I? None of it felt very, um, yeah, it's, it's confusing. And you talk, as I say, and you're absolutely brilliant, but which is, it's ele there's elements of memoir. Some of it, I mean, I was laughing because you're a very funny writer as well, but there were some bits which really made me well up a bit. And um, you talked about your having an eating disorder. And yeah. I just think it's... I really respected you for writing about that because that's a, it's a tough thing I imagine to talk about isn't it? Yeah it's a tough thing for loads of different reasons and I've kind of again like that that disconnect between those you know how you present and the reality and I have kind of wanted to speak about it for ages and then I've been acutely aware that mm. as soon as that comes out you know you're on the like there's a picture of you at a party and you look yeah. one way or the other and there's an additional level of scrutiny that's given to you because you've you know shared this part of you I suppose so I kind of I think you you have to feel quite strong in yourself to mm. share that knowing that it may add scrutiny but for me I was like when I was in in the thick of it in the depths of it I suppose and it went on for a long time um, like, 
you know, and I say I dabbled with it, but I was kind of introduced to it in school. And then, you know, into, into my 30s. So it was like 15 years, kind of. So it's a long time to be in the grips of something like that. To a, you know, sometimes it was more, sometimes it was less. But I remember, like, the only two people that I could relate to publicly were Karen Carpenter, who died, and Jerry Halliwell, who, and I remember she wrote in her book, um, about, you know, rooting in George Michael's bin. Chocolate cake. Yeah. And it was kind of ridiculed. It was like, it oh was. my God, what a picture of like beastly lack of control, like a feral. And it was, it was ridiculed because there was yeah. such a lack of understanding around that. And I was like, oh my God, those are the, those are the two poster girls for this. So it's quite a shameful thing or, or a scary thing on the one hand, shameful on the other. So I kind of just was like, oh yeah, no, it's not like you don't want to be that girl and so yeah I so there was a lot of shame attached to it and for me there was a kind of I, f I found myself over the years consciously because it's so hidden like a lot of addictions or addictive behaviors are they're so hidden and then I was like I really really was trying to tell people friends of mine as time went along and I'd find myself sitting with nobody knowing about my history talking about oh my god she's such a pain in the arse or she's so skinny would she just fucking eat, eat a burger you know this kind mm. of like just it's such a lack of understanding around such a sensitive you know psychological illness because of course most of our socializing is is based around food. consuming food and drink yeah. and every minute every day of your life yeah. you're confronted with it aren't you yeah because and, and look i don't i have never been addicted to drugs or to mm. alcohol, so I'm speaking without knowing. Mm. But like, there's very clear boundaries around those. You know, abstain from those in order to stay on the wagon, so to speak. If food is your addiction of choice, I use that word lightly, but like whether that's overeating or bulimia or anorexia or whatever it is, it's literally every single day. So you can't really go through a day without being challenged by yeah that's yeah that addiction so it is it's um yeah it's it's a it's a very tricky one and i think there's still not that much you know understanding truthfully around around it and it's frustrating yeah. for people to watch because you're like and i mean people who give up booze who were once like the the fun loving party girl like i think that's problematic when they give up drinking yeah. and their friends are like hello why are you so boring now yeah. you know that there, there's challenges with with changing your life for people close to you um but yeah food is food you know can't live without it are you still aware of it is it something you still think you know that that's always with you in a way. Um, so I remember speaking to a friend who, she, I used to do Irish dancing and, I know, red hair, Irish, I'm basically Jean Butler. And um, she, I remember her saying to me, she obviously recognised that, like my patterns, that I was going through the same thing as her. She kind of like pulled me aside one night and she wasn't somebody I really related to on a deep level, but I remember her saying, well, you know, this will be something we always have, like, and you just manage it and you just have to manage it. And I was like, 
so affronted by that. Like, I think in her mind, there was a kind of comfort in the collective of knowing that, you know, we're together and there's a kind of, I don't, I don't know. that the, She talked about it like a, like a companion that she'd always have. And I was like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? I have to live in this forever? No way. And I felt really, like, so there was a real determination in me not to be in that little yeah. hole forever. Yeah. Um, but obviously that was very naive. <laughs> <laughs> Truthfully. I'm like, as if, smell you later. Um, so I just started, I just started working too hard. Are we sitting? He's running now. Come on, Ray Oh, look, I got butter in the little shop there. I find myself, if I ask for it, if I'm out somewhere and say, can I get, can I have some butter, please? They're like, sorry, I li like computer, <laughs> it's not working. So I have to say, can I have some butter, butter, please? So yeah. tell me about how you ended up in TV. I think it was secretly, I was like, oh, I, I, I think I'd quite like to perform. But there was no, I mean, it's so, so cliched, but like, you got to see it to be it. I, there was nobody on telly that I thought, oh, that's somebody who has a background similar to me, who looks like me. You know, obviously there's like a lot of white women on TV, but I didn't, there was nothing, I didn't relate to any of them. They all had like quite posh accents or whatever else. And so I, it just never honestly never crossed my mind that I could do that. It just felt like a very foreign thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think there might have been whispers, but it was just like not really considered. And then I, I, I studied business in university. Were you quite academic then? I was kind of, like accidentally, like, I mean, I did pretty well in my leaving cert, right? To the point where, my mum, bless her, I have not forgiven her for this. When she added up my points, this is how the system works over there. She was like, oh, no, 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 that can't be right. And she re-added them. It was right, FYI. <laughs> um, but like, I remember people in my class going, you did not, you did not get that. One guy, Mark Duffy, <laughs> I love a good. He's moved on. <laughs> He's really moved on. He was like, you did not get that. Sure, you're thick. And I think I kind of, you know, maybe that was my persona was like, I was very giddy in school and I was kind of... I don't know about you, but I think my fear was always the idea that people thought I cared or wanted something. So I think I probably put on such a good act of yeah. not caring that they bought it. Yeah. And actually I did passionately care. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's something, I don't know if that's something I you recognise. I totally relate to that. And it's funny because Brene Brown has this, I know, I love her, but she talks about how the denial of that doesn't make it any less painful when you don't get it. It's just more of a shock to you because you're like, oh my God, I really did want it. And also I think sometimes you, you stop yourself from trying that extra little bit because you're so afraid of like plaster, like of really wanting something and potentially not getting it that you go, none of it matters to me. So you're like, we'll see what happens. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a protection thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know? But you ended up... Yes, yeah, sorry. It was quite so by chance, wasn't it? It was, you were, yeah. You would, I was doing assistant. personal shopping. Your yeah. personal shopping. Yeah. Where were you doing the personal shopping? In Dundrum, in Dublin. 
it was like quite a like Westfield basically um, and I basically I mean I was such a hustler I was so personal shopping while like the women were in the dressing room and in Oasis and I was fitting their jeans I'd like run out and be like, can I get a size in that? But also, will you put those on that mannequin? I'll be in with the crew in like on my lunch break. So I'd ha I was producing these items <laughs> while I was personal shop. I didn't know I was producing. I was just like, you know, there's a mannequin there, put her in a red dress because, you know, Drew Barrymore wore one last night in a red carpet. And then so you were doing do, it get the look kind of TV and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I loved, the TV side of things, which happened totally accidentally because I was assisting the girl who was doing personal shopping and then they came to her and was like, oh, we want, we just want an expert to talk about the Oscars, essentially. And so she was like, oh, come on. And we did it together and it was live. And I remember thinking, oh my God, because I danced. So it was like that kind of rush of um, adrenaline, I guess, the kick of, oh my God, this could all go gloriously wrong. And there's something very addictive about that I think but yeah I TV felt immediately like right to me there's a lot of people on TV but I honestly think there's only a handful of people that seem completely at home and they make you feel comfortable I think Jonathan Ross is one I think you're another you're completely yourself you're completely natural you're not doing a TV voice yeah and it's really interesting that. I think that's a quality that you've kind of either got or you haven't. Well, I think it's, it's because I kind of wasn't aware of the rules, yeah. you know? So I didn't know. I remember people saying afterwards, oh, did you, did you go to presenting school? And I was like, no, where's that? Like I would have if I knew it was a thing. <laughs> I didn't realize I had to train. And then um, they, they told me that when you're speaking to camera, you're supposed to hold your hands like this, like a kind of 1920s portrait. And so you're holding your hands like this as you're talking. I'm like, oh my God, my hands are going so, so 90. Clasped in front of you. Yeah, like a queeny kind of pose. Yes. And I was like, oh wow. wow. Oh yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I don't know the rules. So I think maybe because I didn't, there was a freedom to that. And then I just kept doing it. Like I was really tenacious and I was really persistent and annoying, I'm sure. But like any time I found a little window where somebody worked in the industry, I was like, so I remember being booked to talk ironically about size zero and the effect on like eating in the noughties. I was like, I got you, I'll talk about this. Um, on a on a documentary and the researcher her mother worked in um in kids tv in rt we're going out this, oh, way. this way and actually we could go that way in the long way around okay let's do that um and so i remember lee she said that like just dropped it as a little nugget i was like okay so i emailed her afterwards i was like i'd really like it was really great to work with you la 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 i'd really it would be really great um, to meet your mum. And she said, you know what? My mum's great, but you're not for kids TV. And she was like, you, you need to meet my dad. I was like, okay. I was about uh, to write her up and now no, I, no, no, no. I like her. She's like, you should meet my dad. I thought, grand, I'll meet anyone, frankly, right now. And um, turns out, so I, I met this chap. We call him afterwards, the lovely old Englishman, he's not. <laughs> but I worked with him for years, still do. 
Um, he's a guy called David Blake Knox who worked alongside Ruby Wax for very many years. He produced Jerry Ryan in Ireland for years. Like a, a brilliant, brilliant producer. Now I knew none of this and I had lunch with him and we had a little chat. And he was like, yeah, I'd, like I'd love to work with you. It was only afterwards that I found out this guy is like amazing. Yeah. And so he was the first person. So we worked up lots of fashion ideas at the time. And he said to me, and I had done this with other producers who I'd get in touch with and go, oh, I can, we can do a fashion programme. And they'd go, we'll take that now and bring it into the commissioner and nothing would ever happen. And I remember David saying, you need to come into the room and meet the commissioner. And it was the first time I thought, oh, wow, this feels, it felt different. So we yeah. went in. Anyway, we didn't get the show. But I had another meeting with the commissioner where he told me, by the way, that show's not going to go ahead. And it was kind of like nailing the coffin before we even got going. And he said, if there's anything else, you know, that you want to do, definitely drop me a line. I was like, I want to do a documentary. It's like, OK, I mean, I really have another meeting. And I said, it's about redheads <laughs> and it's called Oi Ginger. And it's exploring gingerism as the last remaining acceptable prejudice. So, yeah, basically, I said, I want to do this documentary. And he was like, OK, that they had me kind of pegged as this like fashion type. This was Oi Ginger, wasn't it? Yeah, this was Oi Ginger. And so I was like, I honestly don't want to do te fashion on telly. But obviously, that's what I was known for. And there was a credibility there. And so I said, oh, Ginger. And he was like, OK. And we made it. I had, honestly, the most fun I've ever had in my life. Vinnie Byrne was the director. And I remember him saying, I was like, what do, we, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Yeah. He was like, just, just be yourself. And I didn't realise how important that was yeah. in that moment on so many levels. It was like, here I am with actual professionals who work in this gig who are saying we trust you enough to like follow your instincts do your thing we've we've got you and it was i mean i was so lucky there's yeah. something in your book which again i found fascinating which is you talk about when you worked on the one show yeah and you were covering alex jones's maternity leave, yeah is that right and I, you wrote about it in the book, so it was so fascinating, Angela, because of course I would have had no idea watching you. I'm watching this thinking, God, she's great. You know, this is, must be a big gig, but she's so in control. And, and of course, behind the scenes, as you write about, you were kind of winging it, weren't you? I was like absolutely <laughs> winging it. So, I mean, this is the one thing that my mom called me after she read the book. And she said, um, now, I are you sure you want to write them? She said, how are the BBC going to feel about you saying that you basically lied to them <laughs> and you didn't know what you were doing? And I was like, do you know what? I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. So anyway, I had, I was doing, filming Robot Wars. I had, we, but it hadn't aired. So we just started filming it. And up until that point, really, I had done like a bit of behind the scenes for The Voice. I had done the BAFTAs red carpet. I had done Tea in the Park. So like a little bit of live, right? Tiny, tiny. Once, basically. And anyway, I was like, the one show, the one show. I was used to in fashion um, and like kind of pitching articles mm. and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, that magazine show, I can pitch bits mm. into that. So remember trying to get a meeting, trying to get a meeting, trying to get a meeting, never get a meeting. And eventually um, I got one and I went in with my little notebook and all my ideas 
and he's like, nah, nah, nah. But I was so not bothered. I was like, yeah, fair enough. And I was so used to like, just not even getting feedback when you'd send a pit an article idea to a magazine, they'd be like, not for us, whatever. So I was kind of resilient in that sense. Anyway, then I, um, I, uh, so he said to me, and this is like the editor of the show, he said to me, have you, have you done much studio? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've done loads of it in Ireland. I basically, <laughs> apart from my docs, never really done any telly in Ireland. Did a travel show, but I've never done any live at this point. And um, I was like, yeah, 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 loads of it. And he was like, okay. And that was the end of our conversation. And then he booked me for like one of the, one of the short films in, uh, on the one show. And I was absolutely delighted. Anyway, cut to few months later I'm up in Glasgow doing Robot Wars mammoth production I was like how the fuck did I get here mm. alongside Dara O'Brien who was an absolute pro this was like yeah. you know he's used to sell out stadiums we're in a it all just felt like really overwhelming and I was like I am not yeah. prepared for the, I don't know what I'm doing I felt like really wobbly and then they rang and were like could she cover studio on the one show I was like oh sweet mother of Jesus but it was kind of that moment of like face your fear. I yeah. say face your fear and eat it. I don't know if I'd recommend it. But I was like, go, do it. So I flew back down um, and did the show. And I mean, genuinely, I did not know what a hard count was. So somebody said to me, um, so how do you like how do you like doing a hard count? And I was like, oh, you know yourself. It depends. A hard count, sorry, just for anyone who doesn't know, is basically five, four, three, two, one. We're out for the news. Like there is no fannying around. Yeah. And he said, how do you how do you like a hard count? Count as in, do you want it from ten? Do you want me to go? You're done. Um, and I said, oh well, I suppose everyone does them differently, don't they? And I could hear this silence on the end of the phone. I was like. And then I rang my agent and I was like, what's a hard count? And she was like, oh dear. <laughs> anyway, that was fine. And I went and I did the show and I mean, I was with Matt Baker, who in fairness was driving the ship. I was just, you know, doing the thing, but it was daunting and it was big and it went really well. And then I covered maternity leave, which suddenly changed it from being me just having fun and winging it and being mm. myself to, oh my God, I have everything to lose now. My head's above the parapet. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing here. And so I just didn't ask any of the questions and felt very, like very overwhelmed. Did you? Oh yeah, yeah. Like it was, you know, I had to um, go into the dressing room and, and like do little breathing exercises. And I was like, I was constantly on edge. Even thinking about it, I was just completely overwhelmed and out of my depth. And I found it really hard to, you know, just be in it and, and enjoy it. I mean, that's something that I still find difficult. Do you? Yeah, yeah. And I have to work like very consciously to go, no, this is it, this is it. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy it, because you could be dead tomorrow. Your career had reached this absolute peak. It was kind of every everything you would want. Yeah. All these things that shouldn't have happened really yeah. had happened quite effortlessly. And I was, miserable miserable and look and I think I feel really lucky in in hindsight because I'm like oh to be gifted like because I think a lot of the time you can spend your whole life just going to the next thing and always assuming that because you haven't got to that thing that's the reason you feel how you feel 
if it's not a good yeah. feeling. And so, whereas I had gotten all of the things, if I had written a list, everything on that list I had done, and I was like, oh my God, still. And I genuinely thought, I was like, I'm never gonna be happy. And I was in my mid thirties or early thirties, and I just thought, oh, that is like so grim to have a real realization or a, or a belief that nothing will like turn you on basically. Yeah. And so it was at that point that I thought, okay, yeah, I really need to sort my shit out and like dig a little bit deeper because my, my focus had always been on the shiny yeah. carrot, on the big job or the like, yeah, outside validation, I suppose. And then I was like, oh yeah, okay. It's not really doing much for me. I guess it's a bit of a wake-up call where you think, yeah. like, okay, how do I want to live my life? And you did, you worked quite hard on yeah. yourself is what I'm saying, didn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of all-or-nothing type of woman. Mm. And so I suddenly was like, oh, hang on. I am now going to shun the trappings <laughs> and meditate yeah. every day. And I, it became like, you know, therapy all of the di I tried all of the different therapies I was like I was throwing myself into this um, and I did take a, it, it seriously and I I'm so glad that I did yeah. um, what did you learn it, do you think about yourself okay the biggest thing and it's still the most challenging thing for me and it will sound bonkers to a lot of people but I'm sure most people will relate or a lot of people will relate is that I have needs as a human being. I had no idea. I had kind of created this like illusion that I was self-sufficient, I was financially independent, I was emotionally independent, yeah. I was absolutely fine. I could keep going, I had immense energy, I could just, like, I didn't even think about what I was doing next week, never mind next month. There was no reflection, there was no sitting down and going, what do I want and what do I need in order for this to, like be for me to be okay in this yeah. i just was like ju just unaware it felt like a need was a, a weakness or to need other people was like very frightening yeah. to me which is why i think when i had my daughter that really hit home because there was like literally no avoiding all of the people that you need when you have a baby and um yeah so so the the biggest thing and the like the thing that i have to keep checking in with myself is oh yeah okay hang on what do I like what do I need here and then I'm allowed to have needs and it's not some yeah. sort of weird like defect which is kind the of pink panther chocolate bar that, I, that broke my heart the pink panther chocolate bar I know uh, and, and Angela's like, book there's such a touching moment when she's at the Irish equivalent of sort of center pot yeah really. look at you that's a good memory yes with Uncle Johnny? Oh my God, yes. And Uncle Johnny's quite a glamorous figure, isn't he? He's a glam guy. The exotic yeah. and urban funny life. And yeah. Like, yeah, just a bit fab. And they took you to the shop and Uncle Johnny mm. said, have what you want. Yeah. And so everyone went around. They're like, oh, I'll book it a spade, book it a spade, or I'll have a game, or I'll have this, that, Filling the their boots. Fill your boots, as you should. You're a kid, push. <laughs> take the piss <laughs> push those boundaries 
Um, and <laughs> I, on the other hand, was like, again, that kind of reading the room, going, I think if I ask for very little, they'll think I'm such a fab little girl. And I'm so, like, kind and so selfless and I'm lovely. And so I, I said, oh, I'll have this bar. It was a 5p Pink Panther bar. I mean, 5p is more than 5p now, but still, it was cheap. And I remember thinking, I mean, I didn't give it much thought. I just knew this is gonna, this is gonna be a quiet little win for me. And, and I was sure that I'd be told, cop on, go over there and get yourself a toy. <laughs> and he was like, I mean, I have six screaming children here. If you want a bloody, like, toxic bar, have it for 5p. It's not really my issue. And so I took the bar, but I remember leaving the shop and being like, oh my God, I was trying so hard to be like lovable by being small, By reducing I think. yourself almost. Yeah, and then they, he didn't give me anything well, else. Well, can I say, <laughs> it's ended very happily because we're outside Angela's. We are. Absolutely. It's my dream house. <laughs> Come on in. Has she fed? Yes. Yeah, oh, you're fed. <laughs> you're looking cute as a button, aren't you? Come on in. I'm, I really need to get the cushions out oh here. God. We're in Angela's lovely garden. She's probably ready for sleep, so. Hi, hungry hound. Angela's such a nice atmosphere in your house. I love your girls. They're gorgeous. This is so beautiful, this, this place that you've created in your family. And I want to know when you met Roy, which feels appropriate to ask you that as your breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> It's all happening. Um, I met. I thought that was intimate. I thought, I'm watching the best read. It's fine. It's fine. We've we've crossed those lines. I feel. Um, I oh my god. Although I did catch sight myself in the mirror the other day, and I've been really like adamant that I'm going to be freestyling. But from up here, they look small. But when you're faced front on with them, they are absolutely enormous. And Roy was like, oh my God, you need to take a picture of the time your tits were bigger than the baby's head. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I have, we went to Claridge's for Easter because we're bougie. And I literally was whipping them out. And I mean, not like trying to make people uncomfortable, but you know, doing my feminist duty. <laughs> but I really did not realize how obnoxiously large they were. Um, no, I have a friend who we, this is before I had kids and she, uh, we went out one day to a cafe and she had one of those giant muslin cloths and she put it over her head to feed the baby, like a little wigwam, like a little tent. I was like, babe, I think that's just like to cover the, the baby. It's like, I can't see you. I don't know. Yeah, she's like fussing underneath trying to get herself sorted. It was so mad. Anyway, sorry, myself and Roy met. We're set, we'll be eight years married this June. So we met like uh, probably 11 years ago, maybe. Yeah. And what do you think? Did you know? Was it a kind of like, yeah, he's the one? So it was weird because I um, we met through two of our best friends. And I remember Fanula, my friend, saying, I think, mm. yeah, I think you and Roy would get along really well. I remember thinking, okay, Grant. Anyway, we went to, I, we met kind of accidentally when a friend of mine was over from Spain. And we, we went, we, it was a bit of a mad night. Anyway, we had a little cheeky snog that night, right? But like, that was it. And then I think he took my number and was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll drop you a line. Nothing, nothing. 
Do you no, I I'm had zero really interest. angry with Roy. I was so, I was like, I have no interest in this man <laughs> contacting me. I was a little bit intrigued. And then when it was like silence, I thought, how fucking dare he? I wouldn't have answered the phone, but I'm, I'm, I'd like to have had the choice. So I thought, oh my God, how rude. Anyway, and then he got in touch around six months later. Six months. And I said, and he's like, I know this is a bit out of the blue, but do you want to go for a drink? I was like, actually, maybe. <laughs> so we did. And, but I had ideas. I was like, mm, I don't think, I mean, it's no. fine. I'll just go. I was kind of in that, like, say yes to everything. Yeah. I think there's a book, isn't it? And so, um, and then we met and I had such preconceptions about him. We sat down, we had a drink and um, like within the first drink, I don't know what the timings were. I was like, oh wow, this feels very different. Mm-hmm. Felt like I knew him from another life. And, um, yeah. oh, Babs, come on. Do you like Raymond? Do you oh like God, Raymond? Do you like Raymond? Do you like Raymond? Do you like Raymond? Will you send me a recording of this? Do you like Raymond? Do you like Raymond? Do you like Raymond? Do you like Raymond? I need to let her sleep. Angela, this has been one of my favourite podcasts. Sorry to ruin your moment. It was really sentimental and I was enjoying how sincere you were being. I mean, that's the trailer. She bombed. <laughs> Most people bring a dog. I've brought my own baby. And I didn't know you were, that we were neighbours. I know. Pretty much. Now. Yeah. They're never going to get rid of me. Maybe we, is, I think we should be friends. I think. Can I be your friend? Yeah. You see, I've been reading your book, and in your book it says, ask for what you want. Ask for what you want. I've just asked. And the universe shall provide. <laughs> Bitches. <gasps> so true, though, but it's vulnerability. But I, I, I think it's nice to say, can I be your friend? I like that. I, I've never done it before, but it, it worked, I think. We'll see. Follow-up is the key. Angela, will you say goodbye to Raymond? Bye, Raymond, you doughty little Ewok. I'll never forget you. I'll see you next week. Now we're friends with your mom. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.